1: Oh, that's good stuff. Well, hey guys, welcome. Welcome to Stephen's Creek Church. We're kicking off a brand new series today called Naked Marriage. And we're so excited about this. We're going to talk about God's plan for marriage. But even if you're single and maybe you're here and thinking, man, I picked the wrong weekend to be here. You know, I'm single. This doesn't apply to me. This applies to you too. There's going to be a lot of nuggets in here that are going to help you in every relationship of your life. And also some, some good tools that you can file away that might help you. For a marriage someday, but there's gonna be some stuff you can use in the present tense as well.
0: Exactly. And so you're probably wondering why in the world are they calling this series Naked Marriage, right? And I know it gets the attention because it has naked in the word. And we are gonna talk about sex a little bit, but it even goes deeper than that. We're talking about having the kind of marriage that is truly biblical, that goes right back to the beginning of time, the very first married couple, Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 2, it talks about them being naked and unashamed. And there's just this beautiful, union that's happening there where they are truly bearing all to one another and they don't feel ashamed about anything because they're they they do not have any secrets
1: that's right and that's that's god's picture for marriage right. that nakedness represents not only physical nakedness the, the physical intimacy that comes with that but nakedness represents total transparency total trust no masks nothing up your sleeve because you're not even wearing sleeves it's just this beautiful beautiful relationship of being vulnerable, being loved, being accepted. And they were without shame showing that total acceptance and intimacy they had with each other. And that might sound too good to be true, but that's actually still God's plan for marriage today. And so we're excited over the next three weeks to dive in and explore what that actually means, what that looks like in very practical terms, because we're not living in the Garden of Eden. We're living in Augusta, Georgia in 2018. And what does that look like here or online, wherever you happen to be watching? And God's plan is is still powerful, it's still perfect, and it's, it still works. And, you know, a lot of folks have asked us, who are the people that have kind of shaped your marriage, our marriage over the years? So we've had a lot of mentors, you know, a lot of authors that we've read, a lot of mentors here in this church, um, so many voices, even our own parents that have kind of helped shape our view of marriage. But mm-hmm. but there's one guy, there's one man that kind of stands in a league of his own when it comes to teaching us something about love, marriage in, in ways that I think only the heart can really relate to. It's
0: true. I mean, he's really, really touched our lives and I'm pretty sure he's touched your lives too. And we could only be talking about Michael Michael Bolton. Bolton. Of course. I mean,
1: if you're a millennial, you don't know who this beautiful man is.
0: Look him up. You're missing out. You're missing out.
1: You haven't lived. And so there's actually just one song, just the chorus of one song that I think so sets up. What we're talking about in this series. Yes. That in fact let's just let's just play part of that. And if you feel the need to to even sing along, please join us. I think that it can make it. your soul feel alive as you yeah. just reflect on these words so profound. How can we be lovers if
0: we can be friends? How can we style find a never?
1: You know, I feel like we could all just go home right now and feel like it's been a good day. It's, it's really
0: act- all we had planned. It is all we I had prepared. We'll have to say something else.
1: We've got 30 more minutes. Yeah. Now, there, there's actually so much truth in that. Like we were laughing. We came on the radio one day and we were laughing like, i Malcolm Bolt. And we listened to those words and we thought, that's, that's actually great. a profound truth. Yeah. How can we be lovers? If we can't be friends and as we look at what the Bible teaches about love and sex and marriage and all these things we see that just like all great ideas they don't originate in pop music it originates in the Bible and one of these great themes the Bible teaches us about how a marriage should work it's that same thought it's this it's that romance and friendship are like two wings on the same bird in marriage and your marriage won't soar unless it has both. And for that word romance, I mean you could put in you know passion or sexual intimacy. It's that whole aspect of the marriage, but it's the friendship part of the marriage that I think we neglect, and that's so important. And and the Bible talks specifically to this. And it does. Let Ashley read you exactly what it says.
0: And it's actually you know Michael Bolton, as smart as this man is. Okay, he did not come up with the concept of being lovers and friends. It's in the Bible in the book of Song of Solomon. And if you've never read the book of Song of Solomon, you are missing out because it is the steamiest book in the Bible. In fact, it has a lot of lovemaking going on in there. And it's, it's this beautiful picture of a husband and a wife pursuing each other with passion. And one of my favorite verses from Song of Solomon is when the wife refers to her husband and she says, this is my lover and my friend. And it just shows that beautiful oneness and connection that happens when a married couple has both friendship and passion.
1: Yeah, and it it really does take both. And God wants you to have both. And so if you want another recipe for what makes a marriage work, you know, we're we're convinced of this, at the heart of every strong marriage is a strong friendship. And the best marriages are between best friends. You know, the more we spend time around couples who've been successfully, happily married for 50, 60 years, man, it just keeps coming back to that, Mm -hmm. that be best friends. And so we want to illustrate with this furniture. Maybe you're wondering why this random furniture is on the stage. This is going to help us kind of illustrate what it's meant to look like. Uh, A few months ago, or I guess it was last month, Pastor Marty preached a powerful message with three chairs on stage. And he talked about how each of these chairs represent a different place in our faith. Well, In a similar way, these three pieces of furniture represent the three different postures or the three different dynamics that a marriage can really find itself in. And the first and the best is when both are in the middle, what we call the love seat. And the love seat isn't just a literal love seat, even though it's obviously that. But the love seat represents the place where love lives. It represents a marriage where you're unified, you're together, you're in the same place, not only physically, but emotionally, spiritually. You're serving each other's needs. You're putting the needs of the other in front of your own. And this is the only place that a marriage can really work.
0: Exactly. This is our seat right. where we do everything together and we don't try to just have our own agendas. We're willing to compromise. We're willing to come together every time. And, and Dave really is a particular fan of the love seat because he's uh, what I like to refer to as an extreme cuddler. Anybody else in here a oh, cuddler? I cuddle. Raise your hand high. An actual love cuddler. seat is
1: good because you can just throw your leg they're on each other and you can snuggle. <laughs> this is what I call the leg of love, LOL. I just like to throw it on her, wrap her in a cocoon, LOL. bind her with my That's love. She yep. doesn't like it. And, and so this is uh, this is kind of group therapy for us. We just needed to talk about this in a public setting. So,
0: it's true. And God rarely puts a, a cuddler or extreme cuddler with with another cuddler. Because
1: it's all you would do. All you would do. You wouldn't have right? jobs. You would just cuddle all day, so and that's cuddle, not practical. Right.
0: So, like, I'm I'm a non-cuddler. How many non-cuddlers in here? Raise your hands high. Okay, so I'm not alone. All okay. of you are
1: sinners. Those Let are me... the sinners in the room. Those are the people that need to repent. There's cold, icy hearts.
0: <laughs> Let I'm just, me explain. I'm just, kidding. I'm just kidding. Like, I I love to cuddle a little bit, right? You're a liar. But when I, and I'm going to explain this. <laughs> <laughs> but when I go to bed at night, after having, you know, I have four, we have four kids. After being touched all day long, I need some space. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just need a moment to have some space. And I also don't want to be hot. And the leg of love, as lovely as okay. it is, it makes me very hot and confined, right? I don't want to be just, confined. I'm like, set me free, okay? I just right? want to be held,
1: known that it's going to be okay. And I'll even tell her sometimes look, I will give you all the sex you want. Just hold me. Yeah. Just hold me afterwards. True.
0: Yeah.
1: It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't exactly go like that, but,
0: but. Oh, but we work through it, okay? We give, I, I try to serve his cuddle needs. As you're supposed to do when you're in the love seat in your marriage.
1: Well, there's going to be all kinds of opportunities in your marriage where you're wired up totally differently. And people think that, that that's a bad thing. Right. You know, we have this myth in our culture that the key to a great marriage is, is compatibility. And compatibility is, is in a lot of ways, I think it's a myth. I mean, yeah. great marriages aren't built on compatibility. They're built on commitment. You don't want somebody exactly like you. That would drive you crazy. It really would. You know, God puts you with somebody of a different personality. And yes, you're compatible in different ways, but there are also going to be ways where you're just on different planets. And it's not that one of you is right and one of you is wrong. God wired you both up exactly as you are. And He put you together. It's an opportunity to serve each other's needs. But when we put our feet down and we're like, no, it's going to be my way, my way's right, your way's wrong, what happens is we're not in the love seat anymore. We're in this separate dynamic and we call these the the me seats this is the me seat this is where I like to go when I want to do things my way this is when my life is about my career my money my time my hobbies we don't say our very much and and if things aren't where we want I don't take responsibility for it in the marriage there's a lot of finger pointing well if she would just do this our marriage would be better or if he would just do this our marriage would be better and me seats, you could be physically in the same place, but living in, in the me seat. Yep. You know, it's when we're in the same room, but we're always in different worlds. We're always on our own phones. We're always doing our own thing. And the thing about the me seat is they're not stationary. Just like these, they actually kind of have rollers on them. And you're always drifting when you're in the me seat. You're getting further and further apart. They don't stay stationary. And so there's so many couples that are just drifting apart from each other. Little by little, without even really realizing that it's happening, until they wake up one day and they look across the the, the room and they're like, I don't even know that person anymore. And it's because both of them have been in this invisible me mentality.
0: Exactly. You know, you might be listening to this and like, I'm, I don't know if I'm totally in the me seat because maybe you come together for certain things to the love seat. Like maybe your sex life is good. And so you're like, we go to the love seat for, for sex. You know, we meet each other's needs in that way. But really in in the day to day, in every other way, you're in the me seat. Like you really have a hard time even carrying on a conversation. And everything else is really hard. Or maybe you're really good parents together. Maybe you're you're good at parenting, so you come to the love seat. You parent together. You do a good job of that. But really, emotionally, you're very distant. And so you're back in that me seat in every other way. And so it's a difficult dynamic because God wants us in the love seat all the time. He does. Yeah.
1: And a lot of couples live here. But there's a third dynamic that I think is the most difficult of all. And it's this. It's where one spouse is in the love seat. They're saying, I'm doing everything I know how to do. I'm praying for this person. I'm trying to serve this person. I'm, I'm doing all I know how to do to be a good spouse. And my wife, my husband, they feel so distant. Yeah. They feel like they're just in a different place. And I don't know what to do to make it work because I can't make this marriage work alone. And that's, that's a, such a, a difficult, frustrating, and lonely place to be.
0: Exactly. I mean, you might find yourself being the only one in the love seat... If you, if you came here today, maybe you drug your spouse in this room. Maybe your spouse isn't even here with you today. We're so glad that you're here. And I want to tell you that there is hope. And we're going to unpack this a little bit more later. But keep on doing the things that you're doing. Keep on fighting for your marriage, even if you are fighting alone. Keep on reading those marriage books. Keep on praying for your spouse. And keep on coming to, to church and investing in your relationship with the Lord. And And, you know, eventually... He or she may make it back to the love seat, but you keep on doing what you're doing and fighting for that marriage. And if you are listening to this and you're like, I'm in the me seat and he or she, my spouse, is in that love seat. I'm kind of of apathetic right now. I'm not sure this marriage is gonna work. You might find yourself in the me seat if you're thinking things like, I'm not sure if I love him anymore. I'm not sure if I love her anymore. Or we've changed so much. We don't have anything in common anymore. Those are the kind of things that go through your mind when you're in the me seat. And your spouse might be in the love seat, but there's hope for you too.
1: There is. And before we wrap up, we're going to give kind of some specific encouragement and instruction to people who feel like this is the dynamic in their marriage. And also for you folks who are single, who are looking at this and saying, where do I fit in that? We're going to talk specifically about where you, where you fit in this. And it's, it's probably not what you think it's going to be, but I think it could kind of help, help you to, 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 to visualize God's plan for you in this season of your life. All right, so let's let's dive in and talk about how do we live in this love seat dynamic where we're totally partnered in every way. We're friends, we are, we're together. And it's, it's essentially to follow God's path for friendship and then apply it as we're talking today specifically to marriage. But God gives us a clear roadmap for what friends actually do for one another. And if, if we go by this roadmap, it's going to make a huge difference in our marriages.
0: Absolutely. So number one, if you're filling out your bulletins, you might want to fill this in. Number one is friends carry each other's burdens. And there's an awesome verse that you've probably heard many times, but maybe not applied it to marriage. It's Galatians 6 2. It says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And you know, if there's ever a relationship where you need to be able to lean on one another and carry each other's burdens, it's marriage. You know, when we come together, we are becoming one. And so just like we described the dynamic between the me seats and the love seat, you know, everything, when you're in that love seat, it's our problem. It's our win. It's our loss. Because everything affects the other. And so we need to lean into one another and carry each other's burdens. But I see so many times with different married couples that we talk to, I see kind of couples kind of hitting each other when they're down and, and saying, you know, you're a big girl, handle it. Or you're a big boy. You can do this on your own. I didn't get you into the, I didn't get into this mess. You did it. You handle it. But when we do that, we grow so far apart in those me seats that it's really, really hard to get back together. It's possible, but it's really hard. So we need to really try to stay in that love seat even when we're going through, especially, not even when, especially when we're going through hard times and when our spouse is going through something especially hard and they have that burden.
1: And, and sometimes with good intentions, we won't let a, a spouse carry our burden. Yeah. We think I'm going to protect him from that. I'm going to protect her for that. And so we come over into the me seat thinking that we're doing it for the sake of the marriage. We're like, no, this is my problem. This is my issue. This is something from my past I've got to work through. I don't want to burden him or her with it. I don't want them to have to deal with it. And, and really, we, we think we're being selfless, but all we're being is prideful. We're being prideful because we won't allow them to do what, what God has called them to do, which is to, as our spouse, as our partner, to help us through that. We think, I can take care of this on my own. And what we do is we push them away. And any part of your life that your spouse doesn't have full access to is going to put you in the me seat in any part of your life and including a burden that you're trying to carry on your own. And so we need to we need to be there for each other. Ashley's very wisely said that a strong marriage rarely has two strong people at the same time. It's usually a husband and a wife who are taking turns being strong for each other in the moments when the other is weak. And there've been all different kinds of times that that's been the case in our marriage. Where I, I think that we're strong in a lot of ways because we've been strong for each other. And we both individually had lots of moments of weakness. You know, there, were, there was a long period of time. Ashley's talked about it from this stage where she had postpartum depression after her first child. And that, that spun into a, really a, a multi-year battle with anxiety, with depression. And, and I had the opportunity to, to just kind of help serve her through that. And now, you know, different seasons, including recently, including even, I would say, present like, I internalize stress. You know, we keep a, a busy schedule, traveling to speak, and we got four little kids, and there's just a, there's a lot going on all the time. And, and i trying to keep all these plates spinning. I tend to, like, internalize stress to the point where sometimes it can have, like, a physical manifestation and mess with my digestion or just, just get me all out of whack. And she, she encourages me through that. I mean, she encouraged me to go see a counselor. I'm up here publicly telling you that I'm seeing... A Christian counselor right now. And it's one of the most helpful things uh, that, that I've done. And there's no, there shouldn't be a stigma with that. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom to seek wise counsel. And so it, it, guys, especially guys, I think we men sometimes feel like there's this stigma. I don't want to talk about things with somebody when we just bottle it up and we live in this me seat and we've got to have, we've got to have the courage to do what God's called us to do, to bring things out in the open and to really get to the root of things. And there's freedom in that and there's healing in that. And she has helped me so much in that through the years. And so a strong marriage is two people doing that for each other, it has to be.
0: Absolutely, and you know, when I was going through my depression many years ago and my anxiety, Dave had never experienced it before. I mean, he really couldn't relate. He had never gone through that himself, but regardless of how he felt about it, and even though he couldn't relate to it, he was there for me. When I would wake him up in the middle of the night, he would pray with me, even though he probably didn't understand it. He he probably didn't understand why I'd burst into tears over anything, but he would hold me. And And just knowing that he was there, bearing that burden with me made all the difference in the world, and it kept us in this love seat. We were able to go through the burden in the love seat and I, I'm convinced that you know I, I wouldn't have been able to come out of that had we not faced that together and so that kind of brings me to the next: part point. of why
1: I held you through that full disclosure. it, it was True. a chance to cuddle
0: I know, I know. And, <laughs> All right, so here's our next point. It says, "Be there for your spouse in the moments that are most important for them, not just the moments that are most convenient for you." Because honestly, whenever burdens and problems come along, they're they're so inconvenient, right? It's not it when you comes can bear at the right time. it. No, it's never at the right time. So we have to be ready and willing to always be there for each other and carry the burden together.
1: Yeah, you, if you want your marriage to thrive, you have to always treat your spouse like a priority, never like an interruption
0: absolutely. If
1: you treat your spouse like an interruption, you, you are sabotaging the trust and the foundation of your marriage. And so you've got to, whatever they're dealing with, you've got to say, you take precedent. Mm -hmm. This is more important. We are more important than whatever else I've got in my planner, whatever else I've got going on my agenda. It's, you are more important. It has to always be that.
0: That's right. All right. We're ready for number two. Friends should always tell each other the truth. And I know this seems kind of like, oh, of course, you know, of course we tell each other the truth in marriage. But I think sometimes we kind of hold things back. And there's a verse that goes on, along with this. It's Proverbs 24:26. It says, an honest answer is a sign of true friendship. And my goodness, marriage is a place where we need to have complete and total transparency and honesty all the time.
1: We have. And yeah. the Bible has a lot to say about honesty being a sign of, of friendship, like total honesty, not just not lying, but right. not holding anything back. And what we've discovered and what the Bible clearly teaches is this, is that the depth of your honesty will determine the depth of your intimacy in every relationship. You know, even Jesus talking to his disciples, you know, and he said, I I don't call you servants anymore. I now call you friends because I've told you everything, everything the father has revealed to me. I've made known to you. He's saying, I've got no secrets. From you, This is a sign of true intimacy, the deepest intimacy of friendship. And in marriage especially, it's a relationship where we're called to have no secrets. In fact, I would go so far as to say any form of secrecy in marriage is an act of infidelity. Infidelity doesn't just mean adultery. That's like one, one terrible example of it. Infidelity just means broken trust. It means breaking that vow. And when we hold back from our spouse, we're not being totally true to our vows. Right. So if there's any part in your life that your spouse doesn't know about, like any, any conversations you're having with someone or text messages you're sending that you hope they don't see. Any money you're spending that you hope they don't find out about. Any place you're going online that you hope they don't find out about. In that secrecy, you are opening up the door to just a, a whole lot of things that will sabotage your marriage. Any form of secrecy, you know where it puts you? It puts you in the me seat. This is where secrets live. Yeah. This is where I want to keep some things separate. I want to keep some things private. And pride is that little voice in your mind saying, it's okay to do that. I'm a grown woman. I'm a grown man. I don't have to tell him everything. I don't have to tell her everything. Oh man, that is, the, that is the sinister whisper of Satan himself, who is the father of pride, the father of lies. See, pride is not only a sin, it's actually the soil where all other sin takes root. Pride is that place that says, just do it your way. No one's going to get hurt. And it just seduces you into sitting down and staying there a while and drifting away and it doesn't always start sinister in our minds. We just think, well, I just want to have some things that are just for me. I just want to have some parts of my life that are private. But a marriage is willingly laying down your privacy for the sake of transparency and trust. You gave up your right to privacy when you said, I do. And if you don't see it that way, then you don't understand what marriage is. You're doing something else. God wants it to be totally naked. In every way, it has to be
0: right, and we miss out. We miss out on the beautiful connection that God wants us to have. And you know, of course, you're probably thinking, "Oh well, I need to tell the truth about those major things. You know, things that really matter." And, and that's certainly true. We need we need to bear all to our spouse, but we also need to talk about even little preferences that we have that maybe we keep from them you know, you can build up some bitterness over the silliest things and it can cause you all to have all out fights and really damage your relationship in the long run when you hold that back because you're building up the bitterness. And I have, I have been through this before, I'm gonna confess, okay? And even kind of in recent years. So I, I've already confessed I'm a non-cuddler, okay? And I do love physical touch. It's actually my number one love language but it's really more of a rub language because I like my, my feet rubbed, and Dave's amazing at that. But anyway, so I'm a non cuddler, but I'm also, like, I I don't know, a couple of years ago, I was like, Dave loves to, like, so he doesn't cuddle with me in bed, but he likes to play footsie, okay? And I think for him, it's I just like want the some compromise. part of my
1: body touching you. It yes. can be my okay. nasty toes, it can be whatever. So.
0: <laughs> so, like, one day, he's like rubbing his foot on me. And again, it's like, I just want some space. I just want to go to sleep. I don't want to get be hot. And I like go over to him and I'm like,
1: well, I thought she was cool with it. I thought like, this is compromise. (laughs) This is marriage. Like, I want to just wrap her up. She's not with that. So like, I'm just going to like have something touching her and she's cool with it. Yeah. This is love. And all of a sudden, like 15 years into the marriage, 15 years I've been doing this out of nowhere, like 11 PM one night, right in the middle of a Netflix show. She turns over. I hate it when you rub your foot on me. I've always hated it. (laughs)
0: It was I don't like, know if I said it like that. That's pretty accurate. I mean, it was with, it was with and, passion, you know, and, but,
1: you know. Yeah, and some of you have done this in other parts of your marriage. Like, you know, you were date, when you're dating, everything they, they do is cute. I just love the way he eats his food. It's cute. But then, like, ten years into the marriage, all of a sudden, the same way he's always eating, you just look at him, and you're like, I've always hated the way you eat. It's disgusting. You're like an animal, like a caveman. I hate it. And he's just sitting there like.
0: What? Let me let me tell you all, like and eating, he, like like chewing. That is near and dear my to Dave's heart because that is one of his things. And evidently, I, I saw this article on Facebook. It's like a real condition. You no, know,
1: I have like a problem. You hate I have lots of hearing problems hearing people but chew. It's okay. a psychological condition. I'm convinced that if I hear crunch, if you crunch in my ear, I have fantasized about your death. I have. I've just, I've like, I can't take it. It's just apples and chips and. Crunch, 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 and I just have to get away. I just have to leave.
0: He can't do it. And he starts itching
1: you. I'm all. a like, pastor. I can't cuss at you. I just itching. have to leave. It's it's yeah. so, I, and so like I've I, Ashley knows this, and it's and I know this now. Like I'll just I'll have to leave. I'll be like she'll be like, oh, am I crunching? You know, like you got to you eat. It's normal. It's a normal thing to do. <laughs> I just have to be somewhere else. Like I've got I've got a problem.
0: So now I know, you know, but it's, it's funny. We all have those little idiosyncrasies that are just different than our spouses, right? I mean, we all have them. And instead of acting like it doesn't bother you, tell your spouse, it will save you a world of hurt. And then you won't do what I did. Like I call it word spewing word vomit on your spouse, or you've held it in. And all of a sudden you're just like, "Ah, I hate it. You know, and you end up maybe saying things that are hurtful. Okay, and sometimes your head spins around like the exorcist, kind of like mine did that night. But anyway, you want to keep yourself from doing that. You want to be in the love seat because those kind of reactions, they get you right back to that me seat. Instead, it's like we need to tell everything. Tell the truth in love. And don't wait till you're mad in the middle of the night and it's killing you for the 50th time or whatever. And Tell, I'll tell them you, in love.
1: What else would put you in the me seat as it relates to this is when your spouse does something different than you or they have something that bothers them that's different from yours. And, in, and your first response is to come over here and to judge them and say, yep. well, that doesn't bother me. So it's stupid that it bothers you. Yep. Or that doesn't offend, that wouldn't have hurt my feelings. So I shouldn't have to apologize because you're wrong to have had your feelings hurt about that. Or, you know, I, I don't, You know I don't need that, so you shouldn't need it. You know I I don't need to make love that often, so you shouldn't either. I don't need this, so you shouldn't either. And we sit in the me seat and we tell our spouse what they need and what they don't need, instead of embracing who they are and how God wired them, and and saying how can I serve your needs? And I know you're different than me, and that's beautiful. I'm glad you're different than me. How can I serve your needs? How can I make your life better? And said, how can I sit over there and pass judgment on all the ways you're different than me? And what you're saying is, and it's the it's the definition of pride, my way is the right way. Yep. And any way that you're not exactly like me must mean that you're wrong. And the and I'm telling we, we we do this. That voice of pride, I'm. so many marriages have unraveled because both people just get entrenched and start pointing fingers. And subtly, they may never say it out loud, but that's the message. Every way you're not like me, you're wrong. And... You're never going to live in a love seat like that, ever, ever. You've got to be willing to say, I want to sub- submit to your preferences. I want to serve your needs.
0: Absolutely. That brings us to number three. Friends don't give up on each other. And there's an awesome verse that goes with this in Proverbs. It says, love prospers when a fault is forgiven but dwelling on it separates close friends. And we're gonna talk about forgiveness as it relates to not giving up because I think so many times, just kind of like what Dave was leading into just then, you know, we can harbor this unforgiveness to our spouse and we may not verbalize it, which is terrible. We need to verbalize when we're really struggling to forgive, but we can really make them pay for it. And it may not be in the word vomit fashion. You may not ever say anything, but you can be so cold that you all may be married, but it feels like a very lonely place. And that, that is terrible. It's a terrible place to be. And we've talked to so many couples where this is a dynamic. And we have to be willing to forgive. You know, we're all going to make mistakes. None of us are perfect. Some are going to be huge mistakes. Some are going to be little. But we need to always come back to the love seat and work it out.
1: That's right. Forgiveness forgiveness is vital to any relationship. But yes. especially in marriage. You know, one one part of First Corinthians 13, that love cha- chapter, maybe the most difficult part. It says, love Keeps no record of wrongs. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine a marriage where you just don't keep score? You don't bring up, you know, the sins or mistakes of the past. That there truly is grace extended. And we understand, we have to understand that not to like oversimplify. Forgiving doesn't mean that didn't hurt. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It doesn't even mean you're off the hook. Because forgiveness and trust are two different things. Forgiveness can't be earned. It can only be given. Because that's what grace is. God forgave us freely. calls us to forgive others freely. But trust is different. When you've broken your spouse's trust, that can't be given automatically. Trust can't be given at all. It can only be earned. And it's earned through consistency. The only recipe for trust is consistency of our words, of our actions. You can't build trust based on what you promise to do, what you say you're going to do. You only build it over time by what you're actually doing to rebuild what was, what's been broken. Forgiveness essentially just means I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to pursue reconciliation instead of revenge. Because I love you, I'm going to let go of this bitterness and allow the Lord's peace to replace it. Because I don't want to live as a bitter person. I want to live in freedom. And this wound that I'm feeling that you were a big part of, I'm going to allow the Lord to come and just bring wholeness and healing to it. And to help walk both of us through this path of of healing together. And if you'll allow that to happen. Forgiveness allows trust to be, be to be possible again. But when you live with unforgiveness, it just, it creates two bitter people and two lonely people.
0: It does. And so we've got to take on the character of God. You know, God forgives us. He sent his one and only son to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven and we could live freely. And so we, we need to approach our spouse with that kind of character. And that leads us to our last point here. It says, don't treat your spouse the way your spouse treats you. Treat your spouse the way God treats you. And that's with lots and lots of grace.
1: Yeah, that's, that's maybe the best marriage advice there can be. Don't just respond like, well, if my husband's nice to me, I'll be nice to him. Or if she does this for me, I'll do this for her. That's just a transactional relationship. But a covenant relationship saying, I'm going to give my best even when they're at their worst. Because that's what God has done for us. God forgave us when we were unworthy. He loved us when we were unlovable. He pursued us when we ran the other way. He served us when we did nothing we had nothing in us to reciprocate that. And he says, now I want you to love each other with that same kind of love.
0: Exactly.
1: And so as, as we promised, we want to kind of wrap up talking about the, a few of these dynamics. One, the, the difficult one where you feel like you're in the love seat and your spouse is miles away. And this is what gives you hope when you're in this situation is the one part we didn't tell you about the love seat is that Christ himself is the love seat. The Bible says, God is love. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. The love seat is this place where we're resting in the love and grace of Christ. And you might feel alone in your marriage, but you're not alone in this seat because it's God himself who's holding you. And so keep praying, keep believing, keep pursuing, keep loving, keep treating your spouse the way that God has treated you. And trust God to do the rest, even in those difficult and lonely moments.
0: That's exactly right. And even as a single person, you know, you you are not alone in the love seat. That, that's really where, as single people, you want to cultivate your life in the love seat and not be in the me seat. Because it, it's easy as a single person to want to be a little selfish because you're only taking care of yourself. But, you know, we, we believe when you take that different approach of already being in the love seat and working on your relationship with Christ, because he is love then you're going to have a different dynamic to your marriage. You're going to have a better foundation when and if you get married someday.
1: Right. And there's always going to be room in your life for whoever and whatever God wants to bring.
0: Right. Whereas
1: in the me seat, there's only room for you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's only room for what you want. There's only room for your hopes, your dreams. But whether married or single, this is where God calls us to live. Exactly. Living and resting in his love. And so as we prepare to close, we're going to pray for you. I want to pray for those who are married a blessing over you. I want to pray for those who are in this maybe difficult dynamic, um, that both spouses would come back together and and pray for you single folks that, that in this season of life you're in, that you would rest in this love seat as well, being held in your father's arms, knowing he is with you and he is for you and he's got a beautiful plan and purpose for your life because we know that he does.
0: And we know that you know we can't even as married people in the love seat when we're feeling that connection and having that oneness, we can't stand on our own four feet. In fact, we're not standing. We're resting. On God's strength. We're surrendering our lives to Him because we know that we cannot make it without Him. In fact, in the Bible, it describes a cord of three strands in Ecclesiastes. That cord of three strands that cannot easily be broken is a husband, a wife, and God as the strongest strand. And when we cling to Him and our hearts are first and foremost His, He's going to bind our hearts together. Because we're making him our priority and then our, our own marriage, and we're going to have a strong, thriving, enjoyable marriage because of it. And we'll continue living in his love and continue working through things within the love seat.
1: That's absolutely right. Do you prepare to pray for you, um, you know, one quick announcement. If you're an engaged couple here or you know anyone who is, um, some of our marriage mentors, Todd and Stacy Luer, are going to be out at the welcome desk right after the service. They're starting a brand new small group specifically just for uh, for engaged couples to help you build that foundation of a life in the love seat. And so if you're interested in that, stop off and see, then they would love to talk to you about that. But sweetie, would you close us out by praying a prayer blessing over everyone here?
0: Absolutely. Lord, I thank you so much for each and every person in this room and those watching online. I know that you have a special message for each and every one of us. And I just pray that those words that you want us to hear will sink into our minds and into our hearts, Lord. Help us to apply them to our life. Help us to see marriage as a gift that you created in a beautiful way for a man and woman to come together. And I just pray specifically for the wives in this room, Lord, uh, that they would realize they are the thermostats of the home, Lord. And that as wives, that we would brighten up our homes and be, you know, warm them up with encouragement and love and kindness. And as husbands, that they would be strong leaders of the home and be tender and kind to their wives and build her up and let her know that she is captivating. I pray for all the single people in this room, Lord, that you will help them to grow closer to you and have a strong relationship with with you within that love seat, Lord. So that when and if you send them a spouse, that they are ready and that you will be the foundation of their marriage. We thank you so much for all that you're teaching us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.